Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Welcome, friend, to the show today, and I'm so glad that you're here, and I am so glad to be back. Maybe you can tell a little bit that my voice is not like it normally is. I have had the flu, and last week, I could not talk, so we didn't have an episode last week, and I just really missed all of you, and even though my voice isn't 100% back, I just had to come, come on and share our amazing guest with you today. And my special guest today is Dr. Mary Kaspar, and she has recently released the groundbreaking book, The Popular Girls, Helping Your Daughter with Adolescent Power Struggles, Seven Steps for Flourishing. And what Dr. Kaspar shares in this episode was fascinating to me because she deconstructs popularity and its links to our girls' well-being, and how the type of popularity that most girls crave is not the type that will improve their lives. And I love how she explains how gaining power and status, which she calls relational aggression, which was really interesting to me also, is a big part of popularity. And what she also shares is how to recognize these behaviors in our daughters and how it doesn't always look the way that we think it does. But there are things that our kids will say to us where when you listen to what she has to share, you will start to be able to recognize it. And she also shares the two different kinds of popularity, what's happening in the teen brain to cause them to crave popularity, and how to help our daughters navigate friendships, what to do when they are left out, and how to recognize if your daughter is a mean girl, and so much more. This was just a great episode, very fascinating to me, and I can't wait for you to listen and learn so much like I did. So let's dive in. Welcome, Dr. Kaspar, to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. Hi, Cheryl, and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. We've been having such a good conversation, and I love your book. You just recently came out with this book, and the popular, it's called The Popular Girls, Helping Your Daughter with Adolescent Power Struggles, Seven Steps for Flourishing. 
Thank you. Yeah, we need this book. Oh my goodness. I mean, we were talking, moms are always reaching out to me all the time with their girls and struggling with friendships. And I just love all that you share in this book. It's, you take such a, um, a different angle where you talk a lot about development. We're going to jump into all that, but um, I'm going to step aside and I'm going to let you start by just sharing what led you to write the book. Okay. So I, I'm one of seven siblings. I was actually born in Chicago, but moved to Australia. (laughs) I, I love Americans. I'm, I'm one of you guys at heart. And I love Australia too, don't get me wrong. We're, we're very similar in so many ways. We're, we're great mates. So, so I moved to Australia when I was very young and um, grew up in a regional area with, uh, and ended up being one of seven siblings, so I'm the second eldest. And I married quite young. I met my husband actually when I was 15 years old and we've now been together for over 30 years and as both of us being young parents, we we have three daughters and we were very involved in our daughters' lives and and they're now young adults and, and, and gorgeous young women in their own right. While I was raising the girls, I was also completing a doctorate in clinical psychology and one of my interest areas was adolescents and, and girls in particular And as soon as I finished university, I went into running a private practice. And as part of that practice, I ran group programs for teens, and I I still do that a little bit online, and focus on supporting really good mental health and relationships. And it was accumulation of all of those experiences over many years, things that I had experienced as an adolescent myself, seeing some of the things that my daughter's had experienced in friendships and really listening to the girls that were in my practice that led me to writing the popular girls because particularly the girls in my practice were telling me that unless I understood popularity or unless I understood power, the strategies that I was talking to them about didn't make as much sense because the rules changed depending on how popular somebody was or what they're referring to is, is how powerful they are or how socially dominant they are. So that was that was really interesting for me and I just saw that there may have been a little bit of a gap in the literature around what that means and how to deal with that. So so that sort of led to led to all of this. Wow that they gave you that that they that's what they were saying of all the things they could say is how you needed to understand how friendships were impacting them were you really am i understand correctly or it would be very difficult to really understand them is that correct well part of the programs that i was running with teens involved teaching them evidence based cognitive behavioral skills such as problem-solving skills or assertive communication or thought-balancing skills. And some of the, when I was talking to them about these strategies, some of the things that they were saying to me was that strategy will work in this situation with this person, but not with this person 
because they're part of the popular group or doing that for the popular you know for the popular group won't work so so it really started to illustrate that there are different concepts when it comes to relationships that not all relationships are equal that power within the peer group can really change how people behave and how they're influenced wow wow yeah, that it's such a big, I mean, I look back to the friendships I had, especially in middle school, boy, middle school is really tough. And how that has played a role in, you know, how I feel even as adult, as an adult in, in friendships with women, you know, it really, it really is an important part of the development. And you talk in the book a lot about that, a lot about what's going on developmentally, what we need to understand as parents. So can you speak to that? Because it's such a good point. Yeah. So friendships and relationships have a massive impact on us as human beings, and not just during adolescence, but throughout our whole life. And some of the learnings that we have during adolescence can really affect how we view and and how we interact with other people. Mm -hmm. So adolescence seems to be this kind of pivotal point. It's this developmental stage where we know that the, the teenage years or adolescent years are actually a period of vulnerability. And the way that we know that, we know from surveys that adolescence is a vulnerable time for loneliness, which can sound really bizarre or really odd because when you see young people, they're embedded in social structures. You'll, you know, they're going to school, they're playing sport, they're doing extracurricular activities. They always seem to be surrounded by young people, you know, other young people and peers, and they're going to parties and they're doing things. So how is it possible that they are one of the highest developmental stages that are at risk for loneliness at the highest levels. And it's about realising that that loneliness is actually a subjective experience. It's not about how many people that you're surrounded by. And loneliness is also related to physical and mental health problems. Yeah. So the lonelier you are, the more that impacts many, many facets of, of, of who you are, both physically and, and mentally. And adolescence is also the most vulnerable period of time for the development of mental health problems. So the Australian Bureau of Statistics released recent survey results showing that 39.6% of young people over the 2020-2021 period had experienced a mental health disorder. So I don't know what that, how that would compare to, to the US, but I do understand that it's a global issue in, in some ways. And it's not just about COVID. So psychologists have been talking about loneliness as being a health crisis before COVID but it was exacerbated then in the COVID. So so our young people are struggling, I I think that's fair to say, and and friendships and relationships and connections are underneath some of those struggles. So what parents need to understand is that we really do need to be taking care of young people in this area or, or paying attention to this area. 
Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and related to that is that another thing that's happening during adolescence is that there is uneven brain development. So we have quite significant things happening in the adolescent brain. And some of those things are that the the, um, limbic system, the amygdala, so the back of the brain, is growing before the, the prefrontal cortex. And in that area during adolescence, that re- the, these kinds of regions of the brain are supercharged with brain receptors for oxytocin, which drives social connections. So you see young people always wanting to be with peers and, and you know, wanting to be socially connected, and dopamine, which makes us feel good. But part of that is that there are also urges for seeking status that, mm. that come with that. And these urges for status can sometimes override a teen's need for connection. Mm. And so when we're talking about this developmental period and the absolute importance of connection, status-seeking can be about moving young people in maybe the wrong direction Hmm. for for what they really need. So it's about a craving, that, that kind of desire and that kind of craving, moving away from what they really need. Oh. And that's also something for, for parents to, to be understanding is that this is, you know, a developmental period where the brain is undergoing these really big changes. So yeah. Is that because, like, when, when we're operating more of the back of the brain, the more like the amygdala part of the brain, and we're more impulsive, at that age. So we don't have the brakes and steering. So, but then you have that wanting that power and, and, and is that, is that because you have the autonomy, the fight for independence? I mean, I'm so curious about why, why that is that power, is it like that positive power and control at that age that you're starting to you know, get in touch with, wow, I can really impact people. Is it that they want to really matter? Like what drives that, you know, there's cruelty and there's aggression and it all has to do with power. What, what is the need that they're getting met in, in all of that? Well, I I think you're absolutely right when you mentioned autonomy it's uh-huh. about that I think that historically and, and even now it, it's a time when adolescents are making their own way in the world and they're meant to be separating from their parents, right, and and learning about the world and exploring and then they're connecting more with their peers. So it's that sort of that movement away from the family that's normal and healthy and that ties in with the concept of interdependence where we still need those connections with family but they look quite different. They, they they involve the young person you know, making more decisions. Like I think in my book I talk about it being like flying lessons that they still need that safe base to come back to, to refuel and, and to get maintenance and repairs, but they're really, you know, becoming more autonomous. So I think the brain changes are, are really a healthy part of doing that. But I also think that there's... There's this component to it 
that maybe is influenced by the the real sort of hyper individualism that we have in our society and that's fueled from social media that puts the emphasis on on status on you know being a winner that that perhaps some people are better than than other people so i think that's also playing into i think what we're seeing happen with our young people more and more mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah you are right that that status seeking and that power is often related to relational aggression and that's because relational aggression works it actually does increase a young person's status if it's done in the right way so yeah it's crazy to me I've always wondered about that like (laughs) how that works like why is everybody following her I remember thinking that you know or the the being mean it seemed to work and what why is that you know you talk about what we need to understand about aggress uh, uh, what do you call it aggression or how do you you call you call it something in the book so relational aggression can also be referred to as social cruelty and it it is sort of it's a form of coercive behaviors which is you know aggressive behaviors so um you know so yeah and and status seems to work when it's combined with high levels of coercive behaviours or aggressive behaviours relative to the peer group at the same time as really high levels of pro-social behaviours. So to gain status often can be about um, people that look attractive. Mm -hmm. So physical attractiveness can increase status. High levels of pro-social behaviours can increase status. So that means lots of, you know, being nice and, you know, being being quite charming, being really socially astute, being okay. but being able to tee that. Does that make sense? And that's a concept that I, I think that sometimes we think about people either being mean or nice, but to understand status popularity and how you gain power it's often the combination of those two techniques together. Those are, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Those are the two different kinds of popularity that you talk mm. about? Mm. So there's two different kinds of popularity and one is referred to as likeable popularity, which is really about being liked, that when people are around you, they feel valued and they feel safe and they feel included, and you make them feel good about themselves. Whereas status popularity is more about being influential, um, widely known, really um, visible. So it's yeah. So 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 it's a little bit different, and and there's not that much overlap between the two t- kinds of popularity. So mm. yeah, but. Status popularity is the the kind of popularity that is most associated with power and and the particular kind of coercive behaviours that happen in that are are sort of in the realm of relational aggression because when you exclude somebody, you create an elite or special group of the included. 
Hmm. So they're left out. And, and that gets you status. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you quote, I want to quote you because I thought this, this was really interesting to me. You said the top of the type of popularity that most girls crave is not the type that will improve their lives. And yeah, that because so much of your book is how we help our girls navigate these waters. And so speak to that, the top, the type of popularity that they crave is not the type that's going to improve their lives. So with the brain changes and the urges uh, for status, the kind of popularity that most young people want is status popularity. They, they want to be, you know, the, the it person, the, the person at, you know, the top. And But what the research shows is that to get there, that often it involves a focus on control and that is where the combination of coercive and pro-social behaviours together come in, almost like a form of manipulation or, you know, always focusing on, on having that kind of popularity. And that focus on control moves away from connection and it is associated with higher levels of depression, anxiety, addictions and problems in future relationships because if that becomes your template for interacting with people, it's very, very difficult just to switch it off when you finish high school. It's fundamentally a very different mindset about what relationships are or what relationships look like. So whereas likeable popularity is associated with being in relationships that are really healthy and where people are really valued and people enjoy spending time with them. What do you recommend? Because you give seven, you give seven, um, you call them roadmaps, right? In the book, um, seven roadmaps that uh, to help guide our girls towards healthy relationships. Can you speak to some of those things where we can help our help our daughters? Yeah. So one of the first things I suppose is understanding how status and how power can influence the peer group and noticing when relational aggression is happening. That would be one thing. So so there'd be two different things here. So if I focus first of all on relational aggression, and then I'll focus on the seven steps, which is okay. more of a holistic okay. kind okay. of approach. Okay. So as a parent, understanding that status is something that is desired in the adolescent years for a number of reasons, because of the brain changes that we talked about, but also because young people are given messages about, you know, being better. And sometimes they get that confused about, you know, what that looks like in, in relationships. So for an adult or a parent to understand what relational aggression is, I think is really important so that they can see it when it's happening, so they're knowing what to look for. So relational aggression is a form of hidden or indirect aggression where someone is harmed through damage to their social relationships or their status within the group or their inclusion and, it's, and the goal of relational aggression can really be to control the social rewards. So remember we're talking about it's really important for parents to know the difference between 
what is control in relationships and what is connection. So relational aggression can um, control the social rewards within the group and it, it can increase status. So, and these behaviours may involve, so things like ignoring or turning your back on somebody, making negative facial expressions, so even very small kind of nonverbal behaviours that are just belittling to another person, gossiping and spreading rumours. And that can be done in such a socially sophisticated way that you're often not aware of it. And I think I give some vignettes or examples in my book, don't I, where I where I talk about, you know, the parents are actually quite pleased to hear this gossip about drug use at the party, but it was quite effective in, you know, excluding the girls that had been gossiped about as being the ones that were using drugs. And it didn't actually really reflect what was really happening. So it can be a socially sophisticated way of making sure that somebody's on the outer of pushing them out. Um, So, you know, setting up situations where you're purposefully excluding or leaving out a peer from a social event, playing practical jokes on them or making fun of somebody because if it's not fun for the person, it's actually not funny, right? But, but yeah, so making fun of someone, Mm -hmm. just refusing to sit near them or controlling how the group perceives them. And that can happen, that kind of behaviour can happen when there's a friendship problem and the, the young person doesn't have the skills to communicate probably or problem-solve what to do with that friendship problem. But it can also be part of bullying where the status hierarchy starts to be separated and some people are, you know, um, designated to certain parts lower in the status hierarchy consistently through, you know, repetitive behaviours that are intended to cause harm and that have that imbalance of, of power. So it's about understanding how relational aggression plays out and that it's actually a form of control. Mm-hmm. And, and it can look, and, and it can also play out in more subtle ways. For example, um, status and power can create uneven push-pull games in relationships. So we've probably heard the term frenemy, mm-hmm. where somebody who's a friend, but they're really not a friend. And so status can play into that as well, because they can be your friend when Things are going well and when it suits them. But then when they're with more popular group of peers, they might ignore them or belittle them or or, or put them down. And what power dynamics does is that it, you know, it, it can change a relationship where a friend, because they so desperately want to be friends with somebody who has more power, will accept mistreatment or not understand what that looks like or not understand that that's not really friendship. That yeah so and and it gets very confusing doesn't it I I mean I remember this having two girls I remember that I remember my daughter coming home and saying oh you know she was playing at this girl so she was like in middle school I say play but you know they were hanging out and they were having so much fun and I picked her up and she was smiling and so happy and then she went to school and the girl didn't want to act like she had had her over and I remember my daughter coming home and saying, like, she she had me over, but she didn't want anybody to know that. And mm. it broke my heart. So there, I'm I'm just, as you're saying that, I know a lot of our listeners are like, yes, yep, 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 you know, doing a little check off of when they can remember these kind of situations happening, or they may even be happening right now. 
Yeah. All that power. How do you know if your daughter is the mean girl? Like what signs do you look for? Cause a lot of these, a lot of the time they're covered up and you don't even know that you might know if your daughter's coming home and, and crying or talking about being left out at the lunch table, but how do you know if they're actually showing some of these aggressive behaviors? So really good question, because from the outside, it can just look like that somebody's quite happy, right? Like, so how do you, because they're with, they're included and they're going to all the parties. So how do you know whether that's a healthy, that they're all healthy friendships or whether they're engaging in mean girl behavior to, to, to sort of get there? So I think that's, I think that's a great question. And what I would recommend that parents do is really be aware of what relational aggression is because that is the mean girl behaviour so that they can think more critically when they're having conversations with their young person. Mm-hmm. So if their daughter's coming home and saying, oh, no, we don't like her because and giving some kind of reason to justify why they're excluding someone, I think that's and I think those conversations do happen, but but to gain high status, often there are really um, sophisticated social behaviours involved here. So the same girls that can manipulate a peer group can are also quite good at manipulating adults, right? Mm-hmm. So they might be going home to their parents and 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 giving you know a, a sort of a version of events. And that's why it's important to know what relational aggression is and and what the two different kinds of popularity are because then a parent can step right back from that and not so much buy into what's being said but understanding the overall perspective of how their daughter is talking about people. So, you know, is their daughter justifying because we all have, you know, because there would be quite good justifications as to why somebody should be left out or somebody should be gossiped about or why you should make fun of somebody because they're different than the group, right? They deserve it. So sometimes there's a little bit of victim blaming that goes on when people, you know, exclude their peers or mistreat their peers. And that's actually one of the errors in thinking. So we refer to it as, you know, cognitive distortions Mm-hmm. which really is about how you change your thinking and there are whole there are whole mindsets around how we can justify mistreating people and one of the most common in bullying is that we do victim blaming so so i think first of all for parents to be aware of what are the behaviors that are mean girl behaviors and regardless of what their young person is telling them at home being able to have that the adult brain use the full frontal lobes and, and prefrontal cortex and understand it a little bit differently, that what is the function of this? And is somebody actually being mistreated and there are just justifications around it? So that's that's one of the first things. And a really uh, sort of a perspective that I encourage parents to think about is I use the example of the staircase and the field. So underlying the two different kinds of popularity seem to be like fundamental differences in the way that relationships are viewed. And likeable popularity or likability involves walking alongside others. So imagine a large flat green field stretching out before you and there's lots of space for everyone. So many different people are walking in the area. There are people to your left or to your right. 
and some are moving forward and some move behind them and in front of them. And the distance covered and the walking speed differs between people. The people are not the same, but they're considered equal on their journey and walk together as companions. So really getting that picture of what it is, because what I'm really saying there is that there's enough room for everybody. Yeah. And that's the mindset behind it. Now compare that to what I think of as being like status popularity, which is viewing others in competition for scarce resources. So this could be conceptualize, conceptualizing people as being on the stairs. So imagine there's a long flight of stairs reaching another level above you and people are standing on every level of the stairs and some people are higher on the stairs and some people lower. So that's the status hierarchy, right? And only a fixed number of people can fit on any one level. So to get to, to make your way up the stairs, you need to find a way of changing positions with someone above you. And at the same time, you need to make sure that someone below you can't pull you down and take your place. So when you're talking with your young people, that underlying philosophy can give you like a north star that, that you're moving towards. So if they're talking about leaving somebody out, and of course, you can't be best friends with everybody and you can't invite everybody to everything, but you can understand the underlying mindset behind that, which is, is this person your equal? Do you value them, even though they might be different, even though they might do things that you don't agree with, even though they might not fit the cultural norm or they might act too young or too old for their age or they might have quirks or they might look different or have a disability or not have good social skills? Are they still fundamentally your equal? Because how you treat people in that mindset is completely different to how you treat people when you're saying they're on a different level of the stairs to me and I'm keeping them there and these are the reasons why I'm keeping them there. So when you actually get that, your gut will start to tell you, you'll start to get a feeling around how does your how is your young person viewing people and then that gives you a really great opportunity to start having conversations about fundamentally valuing diversity in people and that relationships are based not on manipulation or control or being part of an you know or being elite or better than other people that that that's not what human beings and relationships are about gosh that's so powerful that visual of the fields and being on the stairs and and just people beneath you and I just love that, you know, and I think that um, our adolescents can relate to that picture, you know, thinking of it that way. Am I, am I considering myself better than other people? And, and I'm thinking about what are we modeling? And you do talk about that in the book. Um, mm -hmm. Also, so how do we, what are some things we need to stay away from saying I guess we really need to investigate our own hearts in this whole thing uh, and look at our own hearts and how we're viewing people and what that what messages that those are sending to our kids as well. Um, what are some things that we do that impact impact our kids seeing? Are there things that we can do that will help with our kids viewing the world differently with people? Yes, yes, absolutely. And you just said some incredibly wise and, and really moving things, um, Cheryl. I think that, you know, that was, that's really important 
what, what you just said, being, you know, looking into our own hearts and, and, and being guided by that. And, and so I think that, yeah, we can, we can challenge our family values or norms. Like we can take stock of what's happening in our own family. Do we make comments about other people or that we're better than other people in some way rather than, you know, thinking about them as being equal but different. So so we can do that. We can also challenge some of what social media is telling us because in some ways the top of the status hierarchy is the super peer and the celebrities that we're seeing on social media. And so we can actually you know, challenge, have some thinking around that because a lot of what's happening there is that social power is being used to exploit our young people, to buy more things, to fit the cultural norm more too. So we can start to challenge that. We can also really separate with our young people the concept of who they are from what they do because I think that sometimes we really, you know, we may be praising external markers of success instead of, you know, which might be, you know, like grades or how much money somebody earns or or what they look like, you know, their physical appearance or what that external marker is. And over-focus on that I think really confuses young people about what success in relationship looks like, you know. So maybe success is not hanging around you know, a, a predefined kind of group of of elite people, but maybe social success is actually having that other perspective and being able to value and get along with a range of people. But to do that as well, I think that we need to be directing young people to, you know, we're talking about the field and the stairs. I also refer to that as being like vertical relationships you know, which is the stairs versus horizontal relationships. And so if we keep in our relationships with our young people, keep redirecting them back towards horizontal, which is that their worth cannot be changed by external markers and no human's worth can be. And that's just non-negotiable. And so in the seven steps, all they're, they're very sort of general evidence-based. They have massive you know, literature behind them that we know that these strategies work for well-being with young people, but it's also applying them in ways that keep focusing on horizontal relationships. So some of the seven steps for flourishing, it, it involves things like self-compassion. And that's because we all make mistakes and none of us are perfect. So celebrating imperfections, but being compassionate towards ourselves around those imperfections is incredibly important because when we are able to be compassionate with ourselves, to have self-compassion, we are then able perhaps better to also have compassion for others because sometimes the needing to be better than others is also tied up in shame, right? Shame of not being good enough. Whereas when we accept our common humanity, which is an important part of self-compassion, that just brings us back to you know, being similar, being connected, being connected with ourselves and then being able to better connect with others. So also developing a balanced perspective about difficult times and values, developing gratitude, so bringing in positivity and fun into our young people's lives 
understanding their unique character strengths or their traits and, and their signature strengths because every single human being has strengths, has character strengths. And that doesn't make us better than worse than other people. It makes us different. So really celebrating and acknowledging and using our own strengths and having the capacity to see that in other people as well, that even though they not, might not be the same strengths, they're just as equally valuable. And also an understanding and an experience of interconnectedness with others because there's so much that's about that individualistic focus of getting ahead that I think that that can be really disconnecting. So bringing back the connection and also connecting with values and life purpose and meaning. So they're, they're the seven steps that I really focus on. Yeah. And that's why, and you give so many examples and stories that you share in the book that are very helpful where parents can read it and, and, and you have, you have some discussion. Um, you have places in the book where you have discussions and um, I find that very, very helpful as well. You know, um, how, how do we do this? You know, how do we foster these things? And so I, I just love like, how do you, I'm looking at step seven, built interconnectedness and you give such great, you know, things that we can do. And I think it's really important because some of these things were like, well, how do we do that? And uh, I, you talk about courage, humanity, justice. I mean, so many building those strengths in our kids and how to do that. Very, you know, very helpful and, and so important. And, and what are you hoping that this book is going to, you know, what, what is kind of your, your mission or, you know, your desire for this book? How do you want it to impact young people, uh, others? I, I suppose I'm wanting to challenge some of the way that we think about success because research is saying that, that perhaps we need to be moving in a different direction. And so I think that we've got the right intentions, but I think the right direction is about connection. It's not about control. Mm. And, and really, I, I'm really wanting people to be thinking more about how they can best support their young people and that it may not be what we have been sold by society Mm-hmm. that maybe it's time for us to turn another to another way. And on my hope is that with that way, we will see young people feeling healthier and happier and, you know, those rates of anxiety and depression improving, authentic connections improving, and that we're really just moving together towards something a bit bigger and a bit better. Yeah, I love that vision. I love that vision and we need it so badly because our kids are struggling and they are lonely and they are feeling empty and, and longing for that true connection. We all need that. Um, I want to, I, you know, we are going to end on that, but it, I have to ask you this question. <laughs> if you have a daughter that's coming home and she's crying about getting left out, this is comes across, you know, I, I get messages and emails all the time. How can 
a parent help? How can a, a mom help her daughter through that? What What do we say? So I I don't know that there's any magic quick thing that we can say that is going to to fix it. I think that it is something a little that needs to be built over time and that involves the seven steps that I've talked about. And also, I think a secure attachment, something I didn't talk too much about before, but that the research shows is incredibly important, is a secure attachment between carer and parents and adolescents is a massive resilience factor in these situations because young people need to know that they're worthy and have that sense of safety in relationships even when that might be happening at school. So that's that's kind of the background stuff. But in the forefront, what can you say in that situation? I think that it would be about reminding young people that sometimes everyone experiences something like this and it doesn't reflect their worth. I would encourage them to really increase their social connections. So look for existing social connections with, which are healthy and building on that and branching out for more social connections, so perhaps having social connections outside of school for a period of time. And I would keep directing them back towards being the kind of friend that they want to that they want to have and challenge challenge if it is the case that what they're upset about is that they're not part of the popular group because there is some research that shows that wanting to be part of that popular group is actually creating distress Mm. in young people. So I I know that's sort of a (coughs) long-winded answer because because there are so many different ways depending on me understanding the background of the person that's coming home and, and saying that. But, yeah, in general, increasing their sense of worthiness and increasing their connections with other young people in whatever way you know, or healthy, healthy connections in whatever yeah. way needs to be. And I think that's where you were talking about challenging what really makes us worthy and for our kids to be able to really reflect on, on what, what's really um, meaningful and makes us have worth and value. And, and I love when you talk about that, because I think that's where it's important to be challenging our kids on what that looks like. And that's one of the reasons I just think I want to say everybody needs to get your book and read it. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's that's so kind of you. Yeah. So tell everybody where to find you. Um, Okay. So I have a website, Dr. Mary Casper, um, and I have so social media. I'm on Facebook and um, Instagram and but all online bookstores should you should be able to purchase a, a copy of the book if you're interested but yeah I'd love to hear from people yeah and it's popular your website is populargirls.org yes yes and that's very easy to remember I love that populargirls.org that's a good one <laughs> people can be easy easy to remember so Yeah, thank you. This was uh, just very, very helpful. And um, I know that the work that you're doing is going to bear fruit. So thank you, Dr. Kaspar. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. And, And thank you for the care you have for teens and the support that you provide for parents. 
You do an absolutely wonderful job and I'm, I'm grateful for you. Well, that's it for today, friend. And thank you so much for joining me. I love it that you're here. And I also am so appreciative to those of you that have left reviews. I read them. It makes me smile. It makes my day. I love how you're spreading the love and sharing it with friends. And if you are listening in and you are enjoying this podcast, I would love if you would leave a review as well. It only takes one minute. You scroll down, you put in the, I don't know, four or five stars and just write one thing that you love about the show. I want moms and caregivers and whoever is involved in a tween or teen's life to know that there's support for them, that there is a whole community out there that is for them. And we need support. It's not an easy job parenting tweens and teens. And also, if you have not checked out our website, go to momsoftweensandteens.com and you will see so many awesome articles and we have free resources and workshops and a Facebook community and a membership and just so much more. So I invite you to go and check it out. And if you have any questions or anything, any concerns, you can reach out to me at Cheryl at momsoftweensandteens.com. So thank you for being with me today. And I will see you back here next time.